Well, good morning, Rivertown Community Church. And uh, when I say good morning, Rivertown Community Church, I mean all of our campuses. Hey, it's so good to have all of you at every one of our campuses today. And uh, if you're joining us on one of our campuses for like the very first time, uh, you're kind of coming in at the end of a conversation that we've been having for the last four weeks. And we just want you to know that's okay because you can go online, you can watch and listen. But the reason we want you to know is because last week and this week, what we've done is we've stepped into some very practical ways that you could live out what we've been saying over the last four weeks in this conversation. So today, just to kind of get us all on the same page and, and just kind of bring this all together based on what we've been saying for the past few weeks, um, I just kind of want to do a real quick recap, and that is this. We've said basically every week that this, every religion throughout the history of the world has basically had some version of what we're calling the temple model. Now, in the temple model, there are sacred places that hold sacred texts. In other words, there are places that religions say you have to go to if you're going to experience God or if you're going to be sealed by God or blessed by God. And in those sacred places, there are sacred texts that are controlled by sacred men. And those sacred men, they basically are like the gatekeepers of heaven and hell because they interpret this sacred text for their sincere followers because in all reality, these men, they hold all the power because they're interpreting the text. They're saying what's right or wrong or what's good or bad or what keeps you in with God. Now, the other thing we've said about this temple model is this, is when you really stop and think about it, the temple model is very self-centered. And the reason that we say it is self-centered is because the focus of the temple model, the way that we think when we're living in temple model thinking is around this question. What must I believe or do to make or keep things right between me and God? See, in temple model, everything about my relationship with God is about how does it benefit me? How are me and God? And that is why people who kind of gravitate toward temple model thinking, they always gravitate toward basing their relationship with God like on some kind of rules or some kind of rituals because they want to know exactly what they have to do. They want to know exactly what they have to believe in order to keep God on their side or to be on God's good side. Now, when you are a temple model thinking kind of person, it's like you don't want to do more than you have to do, and you just want to do enough that God will be with you or that God will help you or that God will bless you because, see, in the temple model, it's all about me. Now, please don't miss this. If you are basing where you stand with God on rules or on rituals, that you have to complete or that you have to follow, please understand this. It is a very unhealthy way to view God. Now, it's unhealthy for two different reasons. One, because you'll never move beyond viewing your faith through the lens of what's in it for me. Well, if I do this for God, what's God going to do for me? How do I stay in good with God? It's all about me. The second reason it's unhealthy is because if you believe this is how faith works, you will spend, don't miss this, you will spend your whole life in what we call loophole living. And don't miss this. Loophole living is what makes hypocrites out of all of us. See, loophole living is whenever you try to find a verse or a passage to explain your behavior or to say this is good and, and this is bad, but you know I can, ex- I can excuse myself from this 
See, loophole living is any rationalization for why I say, well, this scripture, it applies to me, but this scripture doesn't apply to me, or what Jesus said over here, this applies to me, or what Jesus said over here, it doesn't apply to me. After all, my situation is different. And see, loophole living is why our, the people in our communities that are not church people, it's why people in our world, it's why they look at us and they go, you are a bunch of hypocrites. Because you pick and choose which one of these rules or rituals apply for you, and then you come up with rationalization why these other rules don't. And so loophole living kind of people, temple model living kind of people, they go through their life just picking and choosing the parts of Scripture or the teachings of Jesus that they want to follow. That is temple model thinking, and living. And it is a very unhealthy way to view God and is a very unhealthy form of spirituality. Now, here's what we've discovered that is much healthier, and that is this. We've discovered over the past few weeks that when Jesus came, he established, and the writer of Hebrews, the letter in Hebrews in, in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews said this, that Jesus established a much better way. A much better way. In fact, this is kind of what we've said over the last few weeks, that with the arrival of Jesus, it marked the end of God's participation in the temple model and the beginning of something brand new. In other words, we've said that when Jesus showed up here on this earth, he didn't show up to introduce temple model 2.0. He completely dismantled the temple model. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus completely dismantled the temple model, but there's a lot of people who call themselves Christ followers in 21st century America who still live by the temple model. They still believe there's a sacred place, you're gonna go in this sanctuary, and you're gonna hear a sacred text taught to you by a sacred hired holy man or a hired holy woman, and you're gonna be like a sincere follower of certain rules and rituals. But Jesus came along, and when Jesus arrived, it marked the end of God's participation in the temple model. And as a Christ follower, it should mark the end of our participation in the temple model. But for many of us, it has not. And that is what made the, or is making the church and Christianity so resistible to people. Now, now, some of you say, how do you know this marked the end of God's participation in the temple model? Well, a very tangible symbol was that the veil of the temple, that, that veil between the holy of holies and the holy place, or the holy place and the holy of holies, which represented the separation between God and mankind, it ripped in two the moment Jesus' payment on the cross was complete for our sins. And it opened up this brand new access between man and God. It symbolized that there was a brand new way for mankind to relate to God, that we had immediate access, complete access to God. And so in this temple model, or excuse me, in this Jesus model, with the arrival of Jesus came the Jesus model, and in this Jesus model, Jesus says, I'm opening up the door. And so he introduced a new covenant or a new arrangement with God. Literally, you don't have to worry about where you stand with God or what you need to do to make things right with God because you've already made things right with God or Jesus made things right for us. Let's say it that way. You've already been made right with God through what Jesus Christ did through his death and his resurrection if you've received his gift of grace and forgiveness, which means this, that the Jesus model isn't centered on you anymore. 
Because the reality is, you and God are good. Your vertical relationship with God, it is good all because of what Jesus Christ did for you. See, the temple model is thinking, it's, it's, all, it's all about that. But Jesus goes, no, you don't have to worry about that so much anymore. Because you're good with God all because of what Jesus Christ did for you. And he says, so now you have a new arrangement with God. Now, this new covenant also carried with it a new command, which also established a new ethic for our behavior or for how we treat each other. In fact, Jesus taught, he, he taught throughout his ministry on this earth that the new command that he gave us was the most important thing. And that command was that you love one another the way that he loved us. And here's the thing you have to understand. When Jesus gave us this new command, Jesus raised the standard so high for how we're to treat one another that none of us can meet it perfectly. Now, here's the thing. By raising the standard so high that none of us can get it perfectly, Jesus also removed our ability to kind of pick and choose which rules and rituals we keep. And I'm going to help you understand that a little bit more later on this talk. I mean, think about it, though. As a Christ follower, if you are here today or you're on any of our campuses and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you call yourself a Christ follower or a Christian, this new command Jesus gave, he says, as a follower of Christ, you are obligated to follow and live out this new command of loving everyone the way that Jesus loved us. And you know what? If we're honest, we all know that we fall so short of God's standard of living out this new command of loving one another, loving everyone the way that Jesus loved us. That, that is why Christ's death and his resurrection, his grace and his forgiveness, they matter so much because we all daily, we need a savior because we fall so short of loving those around us. We, so, we fall so short of loving everyone like Jesus has loved us. But you know what? J Jesus didn't stop with this new covenant and this new command and this new ethic. Based upon this new covenant, this new command, and this new ethic for how we're to treat each other, Jesus launched a brand new movement. It's a thing we call the church. But, but this thing we call the church, this new movement, it was a gathering of people who were committed to following Christ. And, and when he launched this thing called the church, he didn't launch an institution. He didn't launch a religion. He, he didn't launch a building or a location. He didn't launch a sacred place. He launched a movement, the church. In fact, on the night that Jesus was arrested, Jesus knows about what's going to happen to him, and, and he gathers his disciples together, and he reminds them in several different ways of like, here's the most important thing that I want you to remember as you launch out in leading this new movement. In fact, in this conversation, he, he again, he teaches this new command, and then he also illustrates this new ethic that we are to live out as, as we focus on the you doing life beside you. In fact, we, we have this conversation recorded in John chapter 13, 14, and 15. And so in, in 15, later on in the evening, 
Jesus is having part of this conversation, and, and I want you to notice what he says about how we are to live our lives based upon this new commandment and this new ethic and this new movement called the church. Here's what he says. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now, I don't want you to miss this because this as right here, it is so important. See, Jesus didn't come along and just say, hey, I want you to go love each other. And then just kind of leave us to define what love looks like. And if you live out of the temple model thinking, that's kind of what you've done in church world. You know, you, you go, well, Jesus told us to love, and then we come up with our definition of what love looks like. We come up with our rules and our rituals of what love looks like. But Jesus didn't tell us to love and then just let, leave us to define what love looks like. He says, listen, you are to love the you beside you just as the same as I have loved you. So, so if you want to kind of know what the standard of this new command requires of you, if you're going to live out this new command that Jesus gave, all you have to do is look at Jesus. You have to look at how he lived, and you got to look at how he loved people, and then you go do just as, or the same as. Matter of fact, Jesus he wants to make sure we understand what this definition looks like. And so he defines it for us in verse 13. Here's what he says. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. Because see, that's exactly what Jesus was about to do. Jesus is about to set the example for what it looks like to love the you that is beside you. And what it looks like, it is laying down your life for the benefit of someone else. It's laying down your life in order to serve someone else. And, and here's what's so sad about this whole thing. And man, I just, over the last, and you've heard me talk about this over the last five or six years going, man, we miss it so bad as followers of Jesus Christ. And we've missed it so bad as years because we're so, for years as, as a church, because we're so quick to talk about loving one another but we're just not actually good at laying down our lives for the benefit of somebody else. I mean, think about it. We, we, would, we would rather love someone as long as it's convenient. We, we would rather love someone as long as it doesn't cost us too much personally. See, we, we will, we're willing to love someone as long as I don't have to lay down part of my life. As long as I can still do life the way that I want to do life. As, as long as I can still be a little bit self-centered and self-focused. See, we would rather love if we don't have to lay down any part of our life. Our time, our pleasure, our resources. But even th for those of us who have called ourselves Christ followers, you let it become difficult enough to feel like that we're having to lay down part of our life and we find reasons to stop loving. And we say things like this, well, I just don't have time in this season. And if you really stop and think about it, that's, that's a really self-centered, temple model kind of thought process. See, see, if we just love as long as it benefits us, as long as it's convenient for us in this season, then we really don't understand what it means to love the you beside us the way that Jesus loved us. 
See, to love like Jesus loved, it, it means we have to lay down part of our life consistently, daily, sometimes hourly, in order to show and express love. Because love, it's always sacrificial or it's not love. Love is always unconditional. And so to love like Jesus loved us, it's going to require us to lay down some of our time for the benefit of others, to lay down some of our pleasure, some of our resources for the benefit of others. I mean, think, of, think about it this way. This, this is kind of how the overarching this is. In John chapter, or 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, the apostle John, once again, he's, he's writing about his time and his experience and his life with Jesus. And, and he's looking about back and saying, okay, this is how Jesus lived and this is how Jesus loved. And he makes this profound statement at the end of verse 8, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Here's what he says. In fact, I want every campus to say this with me. God is love. Let's say it one more time. God is love. So, so you know what that statement is saying about God? Is that love is not what God does. Love is who God is. And if you really want to lean into what God would do in any kind of situation, the, the way is by leaning in to love. You go, well, God is love, so God is going to respond to this situation with love. And you know, that is so opposite than this temple model thinking that most of us grew up in. Because temple model thinking is all about, so what do I have to do to get right with God, to be good with God, to have God on my side? And Jesus' model is all about my life is love. My life is love. It's all about loving the people around me the way that Jesus loved me. And I'll tell you something, folks. If you ever get this, if you ever begin to understand that God is love and therefore my life as a Jesus follower is love, it's going to change how you view people. It'll change how you view God. It'll change how you view the Bible. And it'll change how you view all the do's and the don'ts that you read in the Bible. Let me give you some examples of, of some don'ts that we often see in the Bible and how we misinterpret those out of the temple model. For, for example, do you know why you should tell the truth? Do you know why you should tell the truth? Now, some of you are kind of scared to answer this because you're like, oh, there's a catch to this. You're right, there is. See, some of you would go, because you grew up in the church, you'd say, well, we should tell the truth because it's one of the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments is, thou shalt not lie. That's true, but... It's not the right answer for why you should tell the truth. See, temple model thinking says, tell the truth because the text says, don't lie. But Jesus comes along and he raises the standard. And Jesus says, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't lie because you hurt the person that you lied to. And that's not the loving thing to do. Please hear me. The reason lying is wrong is not because it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible because it's wrong. 
See, lying would still be wrong under the new command, even if it wasn't in the Bible, because it's contrary to the nature of love. See, God is love, which means if you lie to someone, you're not loving them around, the people around you, or that person that you're lying to, the way that Jesus loved you. So the temple model thing, he says, well, I'm not going to lie because I want things right between me and God. Jesus, on the other hand, he raises the standard and says, no, the reason you don't lie is because lying prevents you from keeping things right between you and the people that God says you should care about, and that is everyone. And you know, when you think about it, that is two totally different ways of thinking. If you really stop and think about it, the Jesus model is a much higher standard of living. Because here's what Jesus goes. Jesus goes, you know, it's impossible to love your neighbor as I've loved you and lie to them. Those are two totally different things. How about this one? Do you know why you should be generous? Now, once again... Temple model thinking says something like this. Well, because God says in the book of Malachi that Christians should give like 10% of our income back to the church. And so that's what I'm going to do. Because I sure wouldn't want to tick God off because if I got in financial bind, I would want to be make sure I was paying my tithe so that he would bless me and help me out of my bind. So I'm going to give because I don't want God mad at me. I'm going to give because I want God to bless me. And again, it does say that, that we should give in Malachi, but it's the wrong answer for why you give. Do you know why you should be generous? This is not really complicated. Because when you're generous, it helps the person you give to. That's what it does. See, when you're generous, it helps the person that you're generous toward. And that's a powerful way to love the person that is beside you or around you. The, the other reason that you're generous is because generosity, it shifts the focus from you to the people around you that Jesus said, they should really matter to you. So you know what? We should be generous even if it wasn't in the Bible because it's the loving thing to do. See. Because temple, let me, I'm going to do a little rant right here, okay? And if you're a Christ follower, you get mad about this. You know, listen, here's what I discovered over the years. The only time people get mad about talking about money is people, is people who are not generous. Just like the only time people get mad about me talking about adultery are the people who commit adultery. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like you only get mad if something like kind of hits you in the heart, right? So I'm just going to do a little rant here. But here's the thing. If you live temple model thinking, you either, like, you're a tither or you come up with some excuse for, why you don't give? Well, that was Old Testament teaching. But yet you still go, well, Ten Commandments count. See, see, that's the whole loophole thing. It's why our world looks at us and goes, you're a bunch of hypocrites. See, the reason that we do these things is because of love. It's because of love. Please hear me. It is impossible to love your neighbor as Jesus loved you and not be generous. 
You go, how do you know that? You know that. I want you to finish this verse. God so loved the world that he... Let's do it. Let's do it one more time. There's only one word you need to say. Some of you are trying to quote the whole thing to show us you've been in Sunday school. That's okay. You just need to say one word. All right, that's all. So all of our campuses, here we go. God so loved the world that he... That's it. Because love gives. It always gives. See, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And and so we, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should be the most generous people on planet Earth. There's no loophole to that. You're either generous or you're not. And and if you don't have a generosity plan scheduled in your life where that you put other people and God first with the resources he gives you on a weekly, daily, monthly, whatever basis that you have earn income, if you don't have a plan where that you're generous with that in some way, you just there's not a loophole. Because love gives. How about this one? You, you know why you should not gossip? And some of you go, well, the Bible says if you can't say anything good about somebody, don't say nothing at all. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. And, and I told our staff, because your mama says that, and they said, no, Thumper's mama said that. So, <laughs> And some of you are sitting there going, well, um, the, the Bible says you shouldn't talk bad about someone. There's scriptures say you shouldn't talk bad. That's exactly right, but it's still not the reason for why you don't gossip. See, the reason you don't gossip is because gossip hurts someone else. Gossip hurts how other people view someone else. Gossip puts you above other people. And can I give you the bigger reason? Because it's impossible to love your neighbor as Christ loved you and gossip. Do you understand the difference between the standard of the temple model And the standard that Jesus came and gave us in this new command? Or how about this one? This is a hot topic in our culture. Do you know why you should not have sex outside of marriage? And once again, some temple model thinkers are going, well, because God says it's wrong and and he punishes people who sin sexually. Again, that's not the reason why. And some of you might say, well, because, you know, I've heard it taught from Scripture that God says sex is for marriage people. And, yeah, I'm sure you've heard that in church. But it's not the reason that you don't have sex outside of a marital relationship. See, here's why Jesus says sex outside of marriage is wrong. You shouldn't do it because it's not loving the person beside you. And you go, wait just a second. The reason we want to have sex is because we love each other. Right? See, we're not doubting that you love them. But here's the thing. If you really, truly love them, then you will be honest about the fact that sex outside of marriage, it always complicates things. It really does. Not to mention, you being involved with them sexually outside of marriage today will make their future sexual expressions within marriage more difficult not easier. And it'll be the same for you. It'll make your sexual expressions one day more difficult and not easier with that person that you might commit yourself to. Please hear me. 
Jesus basically comes along and says, listen, anytime you do anything to diminish or damage or complicate the sexual experience that somebody else might have with another person one day, then that's not loving and that's a sin against them. See, that's why students says, you should never pressure your boyfriend or your girlfriend to have sex. That's why adults say, you should never sleep with each other because you love one another. Because the reality is, sleeping with them or having sex with them, it's really, if you're honest, it's really all about you. It's really not what's best for them. It's not best for that person beside you. In fact, most of the time you're creating some kind of future regrets and you don't want to be somebody's future regret story down the road. So Jesus comes along and goes, no, you don't have sex outside of marriage because it's just not the loving thing to do. Because he goes, it's impossible to love the person beside you as I have loved you and choose immediate gratification sexually because immediate gratification sexually is just really all about you. And that's not the loving thing to do. Now, here's the thing. Based on what Jesus said, we could put more things up here that the Bible says. But based on what Jesus said, all these things would be wrong whether they were in the Bible or not. Because they're all contrary to God's nature. And God is love. And when you do these things, they're not loving the you beside you like Jesus loved you. Now, don't miss this. Because what this means is this, is every time you open your Bible and you read a command that says you should or you should not do something, do you know what that is? You know why that command is in there that says you should or you should not do something? It's an example of how to demonstrate your love for God by loving people like he does. See, what we don't get is this. If you look at, if you break down the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are the lowest standard of behavior that a person could live by and still be considered a moral human being. They're the lowest standard of behavior. First four commandments tell us how, practical ways of how to love God. Last six commandments tell us how to practically love people. And then Jesus comes along and says, okay, that's the lowest standard possible. I'm giving you a new command that goes way above this standard. It's not about loopholes. It's not about rules and rituals. It's about are you loving the you beside you the way Jesus loved you? And if you're not, it's a sin. So that means every time you open the Bible and you see the do's and the don'ts, it's really an example of how to love God by loving those around you the way God loved you. See, see what we don't get is this. You might want to write this down because some of you got to look at this several times this week. The Bible is not a rule book. It's a handbook on how to love. See, if, if you have temple model thinking, you think the Bible is a rule book. And, 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 you, and this is how you use the Bible. You're always looking for loopholes to the rules that you don't like. And you say things like, well, I don't see a verse that says it's a sin. 
to do whatever you want to do. And you go, well, it must be okay to do that. See, see that's, that's temple model thinking. You're, you're looking for loopholes. See, if you're a Jesus follower and, and you're following the Jesus model, it's not about finding a loophole. It's about loving God by loving the people beside you the way that God loved you. So if you're in a situation right now in your life or you're in a relationship right now in your life and you go, I don't even know what to do in this situation and I don't know if there's a verse or if there's a passage about it. You know what Jesus would say? <laughs> Here's what you do. You just love the you beside you just like Jesus loved you. And a practical way to do this, and I've given you this question before, is just ask yourself this question. What does love require of me? Now, now what does the Ten Commandments require of me or the other laws in the Old Testament require of me? Not the other things that you see said in do's or don'ts in Scripture. What is love? Because here's the standard of all the rest. Here's what love requires of me. And that's what the amazing difference is between the temple model and the Jesus model. See, the temple model says, I'm just going to do just enough, just the necessary things to get God's approval, to be on God's good side. But the Jesus model says, no, 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 you've experienced God's love. Now do the only natural thing that love compels you to do. And you go, what do you mean that love compels you to do? Well, see, if you're married or you're like engaged or like you consider yourself to be in love, you understand what love compels you to do. You, you really do. See, when you realize that you love the person that you're with, you started running everything through this question. What does love require of me? I mean, you started living your whole life going, how can I show them I love them well? even if it means that I've got to do without something. And you started doing your life asking this question, what does love require me? And you know what, because you asked that question and you started doing what love required of you, it gave testimony to the person that you loved how much you really loved them. That's why in this conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples that night before he goes to the cross, earlier in the conversation, in chapter 13, he goes, a new command I give you, love one another. So it's really important because that night he says it two or three times. He says, as I have loved you, you must love one another. And then he just like nails it home in verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, let me tell you why verse 35 here is such a big deal. And we've kind of talked about this a lot in this series about how our relationship with God is revealed by our willingness to love one another as Christ loved us. But what Jesus is saying in this one verse right here, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another, what he's saying is this, your entire testimony, your impact for the kingdom of God as a Christ follower is completely dependent on your willingness to love others as Christ loved us. Nothing else. Loving others it's the thing that makes the difference between the church being resistible or irresistible to people. And the church is not a building or a location. It is people. See, if we really want people to understand that God is for them, that we are for them, The big thing we have to ask ourselves is this, 
How well am I living out this new command? Am I loving everyone around me the way that Jesus loves me? Can you imagine how irresistible the church in America would be if our standard for life, love, decision-making would be, what does love require of me based upon this new command from Jesus to love everyone as Christ loved me? It, it would make the church so irresistible that I just believe I mean, it, there would be so many people lining up to just say, I want to be part of that. But it only happens when we move from living out loophole Christianity, which is nothing but a temple model, and the world looks at us and goes, you're a bunch of hypocrites. To coming before God and saying, God, we're sorry that as your body in this world, we've reflected you wrongly. Because we focused on rules and rituals and how we could be all good with you, and God, we understand that the new commandment is a much higher standard. Can you imagine how it would change your marriage, how it would change your home, your workplace, our communities? And here's what I want you to even imagine more. The church in America doesn't have a very good name. But can you imagine that if everyone lived every day of our life doing what love requires of us, what love compels us to do, can you imagine how it would make the church brand new to our communities? And all of a sudden, people might go, wow, God's for me. And I know that because those people that say they follow him, they're for me and they show it by their love. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for um, this moment when every one of us just really get to pause and look at our lives. God, this is the moment when it gets real. We, we can choose to say, oh, I'm going to stay in that old temple model and I'm going to keep coming up my loopholes and making my rationalizations for why I can or can't do certain things. And God, that's just a terrible way, very unhealthy way to live spiritually. And God, what's even greater is you're no longer participating in that model of spirituality. So that's something we end up pretty much doing on our own. Or God, today is the day when all of us can say, Jesus, we want to love and live like you loved and lived. And we need help from your Holy Spirit because we can't do this on our own. It, it's a supernatural thing. It's not a natural thing. And so I just pray that you help every one of us today to make the commitment right here and now to say we're going to love sacrificially. We're going to love unconditionally. But Jesus, we need your help. We're asking for that right now to every day remind us to do what love requires of us and that's to love everyone the way that you have loved.
us. God, I thank you for how it's going to change our world as we live this out well. In Jesus' name.